talking at his ear. Yep. It sucks. You, you kind of look like a giant one, too. Uh, <clears throat> I know. You're a cute baby, at least. Thanks. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you can put baby oil in there or something. That's stupid. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> That's a huge fallacy. <laughs> no, it comes from Iowa. It's got to be true, right? Mm-hmm. They have the Amish. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I wonder what they do. Like, they obviously probably pray they, for it. Do you think they grow their own mold to make their own uh, antibiotics? Actually, Cody, so. we already know the answer to this. The Irish cure-all is black stripe molasses. <laughs> mm. Did, I Did tell you it? say Irish? I meant Amish. That's badass. Why are you so. comparing Irish to Amish? I don't know. They're both groups of people you hate. <laughs> you know what's crazy is later on in this episode, we're going to talk about the Irish again. In a, in a nice fashion? Okay. All right. So in Cody's favorite fashion. Let's put it this way. <laughs> They're considered uh, strong of back, not strong of mind. Uh, yep. In okay. the story that I'm, re- that I'm <laughs> presenting So we, today. we know what year this was coming from then. Yeah. yeah. And they're still uh, persecuting the Irish people. Certainly. Cody. Yes. Do you know what... Uh, nobody knows what Brad wants. Brad doesn't know what Brad wants. Is he really that upset with me? No. He's fine. I told him the day before. I said, look, Brad, I'm... Basically disabled right now, and there's no way I can come into work. I feel like shit. I got my antibiotics. I'm not coming in there. And he said, okay. Give me the big old oh, okay. Okay. That is the ultimate uh, sign of approval from Brad, though. <laughs> it's like, I don't know. It's kind of passive aggressive if you ask me. Okay. Okay. I think so, too. And then Kong sent me okay, too. But Kong means it. <laughs> I should have sent Kong good morning, hun, like Yasin did that one time. Did you read that? <laughs> Why did Yasin send him a vaguely... Because he, he meant to send it to his girlfriend. He actually uh. sent him good morning, hun, to Kong. That <laughs> 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 show is pretty funny. <laughs> Do you know his girlfriend's name? Does it start with a K? Is that why you'd be texting him? I have no idea. Hmm. I have no idea. I'm not going to dox Yachtson's relationship. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know he had a girlfriend. Well, I mean, there's no photo proof of it, but we're taking word of mouth on it, I guess. Well, that's fair. <laughs> so I hear somebody else might be yeah. taken right <laughs> no, no, now. Hello, Whoa. everybody, and welcome <laughs> to another episode of the Bubble Butt Podcast, the only podcast on the internet that uploads weekly. <laughs> Who knows what it'll be about? Certainly not me. My name is Adam. Sitting across from me is Jordan. Hello. How are you? I'm I'm good. How was your week so far? Even uh, though it is Tuesday, and we just saw each other a few days ago. <laughs> yes. Um. Pr- pretty good. Real good, I'd say. I seen that beautiful wall that you built that almost looked professional. That was an elevator shaft, Cody. <laughs> <laughs> Are you saying that you didn't have any hand in building that beautiful thing? No, that's all we've been doing. Apparently it did look professional enough if you mistook <laughs> it for a wall. You, that's a pretty shitty well, I mean, elevator technically shaft. Technically it was a wall in there. When I see a wall of bricks, I just assume it's a wall. I it's think a- I did like a walk around video. You did. It was on your Instagram. So yeah, I'm so sure therefore you should have seen that it it's like a column. I feel like you told us you were going to do that like three months ago. Like it, you were working on that Menards elevator shaft or whatever. That's what that was, right? Yeah. 
I swear you told us you were working on that like three months ago. Oh, no. That was uh, when my boss first bid the jobs, and I was oh, like, oh. Gotcha. Just in case he makes us stay a weekend where we're working. Well, I heard Cupid shot you with an arrow this weekend, Jordan. Yes. Well, he wants to talk about <laughs> it. I just don't get it. Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> Cody's Do very fast. Do you want to or not, Jordan? It's what, up to would you. it be good for Sunday or between? Whatever you want to do. I think that's more of a between okay. topic. All right, all right. I just don't get it. <laughs> also sitting across from me is Cody. How are you? Um, I'm I'm doing all right. Much better than I've been the past two days, I guess. Yeah, you weren't at work either you know, today or the day before. I got hooked up with horse size antibiotics. Yeah. Uh, so I, I hope they're better. suppositories. <laughs> 875 well, milligram amoxicillin. <laughs> I mean, that's how I've been taking them, but I, I'm pretty sure that's what the doctor said to do. Yeah. Direct access through the anus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Very similar concept to butt chugging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> have you tried that, Jordan? I feel like you're the one person here who would try that. You know, I have not. Like the tampons soaked in, in no, liquor? No. Because I heard the health risks of that. <laughs> Such as potential death. When has that ever stopped you before? Drinking comes <laughs> with potential death as well, son. Well, so does waking up in the morning. I... See? You could have a jet engine motor fall on you like Donnie Darko, so yeah. you might as well live your I, live your day to your fullest. That does seem like a very likely situation. <laughs> Sounds I mean, awful. We do live under flight paths. Yeah. Since we're we so close do. to you, the airport. Uh, you hate that movie, don't you, Adam? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How about you, Jordan? I really don't give a shit. Have you actually seen it? Yes. Okay. You, I mean, I just didn't get it. Yeah, I might not be smart enough. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, is his whole life to see that he's going to get killed by a jet airplane motor? I don't know. It's just dumb. Know. And then An the- edgelordy. <laughs> Very edgelordy. <laughs> Maybe a little bit, yeah, I suppose. Is that his best role? Yeah. Bubble Boy. <laughs> oh, yes. I yeah. totally forgot about that fucking movie. Boy in the Bubble. Doesn't he die that, at the end? Well, that would be a spoiler if he did or <laughs> that didn't. That movie is like 30 years old. We all die in the end, Cody, you know, <laughs> yeah. so chill. All right? All right. All right. Well, this week, I'll take care of the story. How's that sound? Okay. Sounds great. All right. We are going to go back. We're going to go back, and in fact, we're going to go to about the same years we covered last week. In fact, a lot of our cast and crew of this week's adventure are crossovers as well. Really? Mm. How exciting. Awesome. We love to hang out in this time period. Yeah, it's fucking rad. (laughs) I know it is. I've realized that I've had... Well, I have a fascination with this time between like 1800... Like anything before World War II... Mm-hmm. That in America, in there, I really like that time. I guess yeah. in England yeah. too, but. because it's like, what the fuck were people doing? I want to <laughs> know what people were doing and so, why they were doing. They're it. so barbaric, kind yeah. of. It's yeah. just so like what there's, they do is just like, what are you thinking? There's just no rules, and they're all getting hammered, and everybody <laughs> has a gun. No rules, just right, my friend. <laughs> Isn't that a Head and Shoulders? Com- uh, That's slogan? right, dandruff okay. commercial. <laughs> Outback Steakhouse. Oh, right. All right. This week, gentlemen, my story is called Rally Philadelphians. Mm. Okay. In the summer of 1869, Duluth was undergoing its first real surge in population. Railroad connections with St. Paul were certain and to be completed by the following summer. 
A typical port city was beginning to boom. Passerbys and workers from all over the country were filtering in because of the abundance of jobs on ships or on the docks. The true social centers of the town, though, were the saloons. They were packed full of drunken men talking, fighting, <laughs> making business deals, and boasting about the town's future. <laughs> I kind of wish they still did this. Yeah. Mm. Like, you've seen all the local, like, legislate, <laughs> whatever, local senate and whatever, just hanging out in the bar talking about uh, how to fix Minnesota, I guess. Certainly. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of surprised du Duluth is this old. Yeah? I didn't think it was this old. But... Since, like, mm. like 1860s, 1870s? Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a Duluth expert. It's a good spot on the on the lake there. It is. Good for trade. Mm -hmm. Good for industry. Oh, yeah. I forgot they can travel down the Mississippi on that, mm -hmm. can't they? Yeah. Okay. And out to fucking the river. Or the, the river. <laughs> the ocean. Uh, the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> Have you ever seen the, like, ghost ships uh, thing on from Lake Superior? No. Nope. They have no. a video of, like, it looks in the super long distance. There's, like, a hazy ship and they think it's like a ghost ship out there kind of neat yeah that's pretty rad if you believe mm. in that i would like to <laughs> i feel like that video could probably convert anybody mm. well, look it up it's good stuff duluth's sudden emergence as a major city attracted a large variety of new citizens among them anson northup one of minnesota's earliest settlers when northup arrived in town the boom was in full swing Northup intended to contract with the railroad builders to haul materials for the new line. During his varied career, he had been a hotel keeper in other parts of the state, and in 1839 had driven the first herd of cattle into the St. Croix Valley. He also put the first steamboat in operation on the Red River of the North in 1859. During the Civil War, Northup served as a teamster and received a special award from the legislature for his part in the Sioux Campaign of 1863 to 1864. Oh, they're making an appearance mm -hmm. again. That's right. Okay, so I did forgot to ask last week. Did they was the Sioux a derogatory term that white people called the tribe? Is that why they changed the name of it? Yeah, I think it means snake. Oh, Sioux. okay. I was kind of curious about that when I was re-listening back to our last mm -hmm. week's episode. Yeah, they're the Dakota or the Lakota. I don't okay. think they're. I think Sioux was even derogatory at the time. Damn, they had a fucking college team called the Fighting Sioux for like a hundred years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> What are they called now? Um, just the Sioux. Just the Sioux? Oh. No, I'm pretty sure they changed I it. I don't think so. I don't know if they did. No, what that whole thing was is, like, one dude who got kicked out of the tribe got pissy and, like, did this thing and whatnot because uh, North Dakota's always had, like, permission from the local Sioux tribe to call themselves the Fighting Sioux. Mm. Oh, mm. okay. It's South Dakota, right? Or is it North Dakota? North Dakota. Yeah, nobody cares about North. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Northup took his family with him to Duluth. His two sons worked for him as Teamsters. Charles was the eldest and was the first white child born in the St. Croix Valley. Oh, George man. enlisted in Company E of the 1st Minnesota Regiment at the age of 16 and served honorably in the Civil War. That a boy. In 1869, Charles was 26 and George was 24. Are we just assuming what side he fought for, Adam? It was the North. It was certainly the North. I don't trust people in Duluth, so I gotta question it. I don't, uh, I don't assume people's Civil War genders, okay? Yeah, Cody. <laughs> the hardworking, honest-leaning Northups were not the only new residents which the railroad attracted to the booming city. Railroads are designed by brilliant men and built by those strong of body. 
1869, the contractors for the projected Lake Superior and Mississippi Railroad had shipped in groups of Hibernians from Philadelphia. What the fuck is that? A Hibernian is basically an Irish Catholic <laughs> labor fraternity where you have to be both Irish and Catholic to join. Interesting how that works. <laughs> they were uh, involved in the quote-unquote troubles in Northern <laughs> Ireland. And I don't want to say anything about them because Irish people scare me. Cody. <laughs> Do they really? Yes. <laughs> you think the NRA is going to bomb your house hey, or what? I have no idea. <laughs> the NRA? <laughs> <laughs> IRA. Sorry. <laughs> I joined the NRA. Did, uh, I don't know if you guys heard uh, when I didn't even know this. Phil told me that like in our, our hometown, they had two Catholic churches, right? Mm. One was called Assumption and one was called St the hell was it st john's or something and the one with the dirtier name is for the irish catholics and the one with the nicer name is for the german catholics oh that's what he said that's what he said wow. he said that's like an old-timey thing jeez uh, iowa has a really big german, german population oh, yeah. so yeah. oh yeah hmm. i actually heard firsthand from a relative who would be <laughs> she's 84 now so i think this is pre-world war ii right she said, like, uh, when the war was going on, her and her family was, like, persecuted for being German there. Mm. So, mm. apparently my grandpa spoke German and then just, like, stopped. Just forgot it. it. Just I've never heard him speak German in like, my life. Can't, and apparently can't his... Can't do that one no more. And, like, yep. uh, up until I think he, they said he was in his teens, he spoke nothing but German and then just, like, never again. Good for him. Mm. He I loves guess. America. I was like, hmm, interesting. It's beautiful. Either way, their uncouth manners had earned them the nickname of the Philadelphia Roughs. When they landed in Duluth, the men liked neither the town nor the job, refused to work, and spent their time, as long as they had money, saloon hopping. <laughs> These are Jordan's boys. Exactly. Damn right. <laughs> a Philadelphian of a different, much better background was also operating near Duluth at the time. A man known as a beardless boy of 20, <laughs> Thomas H. Stokely. He was the son of William S. Stokely, a prominent Philadelphian who had been a filthy tax man collecting for the IRS until 1869 when he became <laughs> the mayor of the city of brotherly love. Jesus. Wow. So people still hated the IRS uh, over 100 years ago. Are you kidding me? <laughs> no one likes the IRS ever. Uh, <clears throat> we overthrew our masters because of the British IRS. <laughs> I wonder how many IRS agents or whatever ended up getting shot just trying to go to people's houses and collect taxes. I can I'd imagine there's a lot of that. I'd kill a tax man right now if you let me. <laughs> Thomas H. Stokely was a watchmaker, but for some unexplained reason was working in Duluth as a lather and plasterer. <laughs> Putting up drywall and shit. Oh, I thought he was maybe working in a Turkish bathhouse. <laughs> <laughs> They say he was the only plaster of the day to carry out his trade in a fancy black coat. Wow, it's going to get all dirty. That's what I think. <laughs> Saturday, August 14th, 1869 was a local election day. In these frontier times, there were no laws against saloons or candidates buying drinks for registered <laughs> voters <laughs> to influence their votes. And at a lot of saloons, the roustabout Hiberians were hanging around the saloons, hoping a candidate would come along and try and influence their vote. Wow. You know what? I'd actually uh, accept that as more acceptable than taking large amounts of uh, super PAC yeah, money. Definitely. Just buy him a drink. I'm okay with like Stop giving him millions of dollars. 
It's perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Two Irishmen who had run up a huge tab all across town asked for drinks at a saloon on First Street. When the bartender refused to serve them, they tried to bum rush him, but were thrown into the street. Damn. Okay. There they sat, brooding over how they were mistreated, <laughs> when one of the men threw a stick through the window. <laughs> the owner, Nicholas Decker, had been away voting. And when he returned, the bartender showed him the broken window and pointed to the guilty man, who stood not far away among a small crowd of pals. Uh-oh. Decker strode right over to him and asked if he was the one responsible. The man responded by throwing a huge overhand right at him. Charles Northup, who had approached the group, caught the man's arm and prevented the damaging blow. The drunken Irishman tried again. Northup parried and struck him in the face. At this point, one of the roughs cried, Kill the son of a bitch! (laughs) The group began to close on Northup, who, seeing himself heavily outnumbered, started to run down Superior Street while the inflamed Irishman chased him, shouting, Hearing the noise and probably carried away in a mob frenzy, Tom Stokely, who apparently knew of the roughs but did not associate with them, left his work and joined the pursuit wearing his black fancy coat. <laughs> I would love to see that man running down the street with his fucking coat hanging. Uh, I wonder, what do they call when it's really long, the rat tails? The No, not the rat tails. What that's, are they call- that's your- where, where you get a tux and it has yeah, like the drag what behind. What about. the hell is that called? Coattails. Coattails, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Rat tails. Rat tails is probably what you had in Iowa. <laughs> oh, yeah, in the uh, early 90s. Oh, yeah, yeah. that was big. j Dog, you had one. Nope. Good Bullshit. boy. Me neither. I didn't have one either. Josh had a, he had the shaved head with a little curly. Looked like a little oh, piggy's tail yeah. coming down. God, that's so <laughs> gross. Ladies, he is single. If you message me, I can give you his number. Are you sure? Because he's posting pictures. Is he? I don't know. I don't know what's going on with him, but he's a single dad. He's looking for a nice lady to take care of him. Josh, get at us. <laughs> Just as Northup seemed to be outstripping his adversaries, a Hiberian cried out what must have been the gang's war cry. <laughs> Rally, Philadelphians! <laughs> Hoping that other roughs would join in, heading the boy Northup off. Hmm. By this time, the chase was nearing the Northup residence, and George, who had been driving a team not far away, Realized that his brother was in deep shit. Leaving the team, he ran to help Charlie, who had actually put a lot of distance on the group. Although the Philadelphians were starting to suck wind and show signs of (laughs) relenting, when they saw George appearing as reinforcement, they renewed their chase. Wow. I couldn't imagine a bunch of drunk people could have that good of cardio skills to chase after him, but... (laughs) Angry, angry, thirsty Irishman. (laughs) This time, they closed in on George, who bent down to pick up a rock. Oh, At that moment, a man gave him a quick, underhanded blow. In another instant, he cried, Charlie, I am stabbed. Both parties had now reached the north of house, where Anson himself came out, brandishing an axe and dispersed the mob. Charles went inside, but George followed the retreating gang. When he returned 20 minutes later, he looked sick. You know what? This reminds me, the axe is a very... It was a big weapon in this time. Not a big weapon anymore. A lot of axe murders. There's a lot of easier guns now. <laughs> you know People what I mean? just need to learn to work. I still too. think axes should make yeah. a comeback. You ever seen the axes where it's like, it looks like a regular axe, but the back of it, the weighted part's like super big. I don't know if it's for like specialized chopping. Have you ever mm. seen one of those? Mm-mm. I don't know. Like I seen really a, big? Like, like, like a sledgehammer like almost? Yeah, kind of. Oh. Like so it has extra force behind oh, it. Oh, you mean a maul? I think a maul is a sledgehammer, ain't it? No? 
Okay, I don't know. Or, sorry, Wood Mall. Mm. I have uh, one sitting in my garage right now. <laughs> we'll go chop some when, wood, Yeah, when's dickhead? the last time you've chopped wood? Last summer. D- when? <laughs> when I had to split up some logs for a bonfire. How when? <laughs> I don't know, June or July? Who a specific to- date. <laughs> Just because you own flannel shirts doesn't make you a fucking That's lumberjack. Right. Cody, I will chop more wood in any given amount of time than you. At any time. <laughs> We're going to have a wood chopping competition this summer. Let's do it. Hell yeah. You're going to get lathered up in baby oil and like wrap your uh, flannel shirt around your waist so all the ladies can see you sweating while you're chopping wood. Damn right. I need you to put some of that baby oil in my ear. <laughs> His family at once called Dr. Thomas Potts, finding his patient with a one and a half inch knife wound in his belly, a barely perceptible pulse, cold clammy skin, and his abdomen swollen from internal bleeding. Dr. Potts dosed him with whiskey and morphine. (laughs) Uh, That's a cocktail I want. (laughs) Later in the evening, a second doctor was called, but George Northup died at 11 p.m., whispering that he thought Edward McGovern, one of his principal assailants, had been the one to stab him. The St. Louis County Sheriff had rounded up nine of the suspects, including McGovern and Tom Stokely. Just like last week, and the small town of Detroit Lakes, Duluth did not have a jail at this point. So the men were confined <laughs> to a dark hole at Decker's Brewery. <laughs> work. I guess it'll work. Uh, yeah, why I not? mean, if they're locked in a brewery and they can't access the brew, that's even more torture for oh, them. Oh, certainly. <laughs> Irish guys locked in a brewery. Can you imagine the sweat protruding off their face oh, while they're in geez. there? <laughs> it's going to smell just like a Guinness. Yes, yes. <laughs> that's where they got the idea for Guinness. It probably was not a great night's sleep for the nine men. For a large crowd of people stood outside the brewery screaming to hang them all that night. Wow. Okay, that's not Hmm. good. That's not a good sign. On the next day, which was a Sunday, a group of citizens met in the brand newly built Masonic Hall, trying to organize a committee which would hang the prisoners at once. It took a huge amount of persuasion, including the dead boy's father, Anson Northup, on the day of his son's funeral to dissuade the mob hanging the nine men. Why is he being so nice? Because it's not justice. That's not justice. You have to go through due process. This is a country. (laughs) That's Minnesota nice right there. We've got laws here. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I'm pretty sure. It's funny you're saying this. Didn't Duluth get caught for lynching people um, inappropriately not that long after this? (laughs) That's why Anson's trying to be better. (laughs) Yeah. He's trying to be a man. (laughs) On August 16th, 1869. Two days after George Northup's passing, the accused men had their preliminary hearings. Four of them were released outright. The other five were charged with first-degree murder and ordered held in Ramsey County Jail at St. Paul until the grand jury for St. Louis County should meet. McGovern and Stokely were among the group held. Tom's attorney, Albert N. Seep, complained by affidavit that securing a fair hearing for Stokely had been rather hard. Members of the city's Philadelphia rough population were seeing to it to let Seep know that he needed to get Stokely off or else. So they're intimidating the fucking lawyer. Mm. His defense. They're intimidating. Wow. Like, that's the wrong people. To- <laughs> you gotta do that to the jury, fellas. <laughs> the jury. Or the prosecution. like, Or the judge, his family or something. Not the defense attorney. Here we go again with a fucking lawyer who has to put all three initials of his name in there. It's probably a, a legal prick. thing. 
Yeah, it could be, I guess. They're just fancy-ass dudes with I bet, attitudes. I bet this is Albert Nigel Seep. Albert Nigel Seep. Or Nebraska. Oh. <laughs> Named after Nantucket. the newly minted Nebraska Territory. <laughs> yes. Best state in the Union. Mm. <laughs> Go Cornhuskers. <laughs> <laughs> the prisoners left Duluth about 1 a.m., taking the steamer Keys to Superior, Wisconsin, and the regular stagecoach down to St. Paul. Knowing the general temper of the time, and also knowing that frontiersmen didn't always follow the judge's sentencing of a man <laughs> after the judge went home, four men who had been freed chose to travel in chains to St. Paul with the others. Smart. See, this is why we love the 1800s. Yep. yep. Vigilante justice oh, right yeah. here. <laughs> They'll run your fucking ass down if they think you're guilty. If anybody's... Wondering who's not from Minnesota, you have uh, Duluth and then Superior, Wisconsin's like literally across the bridge yep. or whatever. And it is kind of 100% trashier than Duluth. Yes, yes. it is. It's like very trashy over there. <laughs> but you used to be able to get cheaper cigarettes mm. and there was a gas station across there that had like fried food and I, it was the best fucking thing. I went into, and we stayed over there because obviously the hotels are cheaper and whatever. And there was a bar, I swear this fucker was open like all night. And we go in there and it was enemy territory, autographed Green Bay Packers jerseys Hell everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Gives Sounds me shivers. Beautiful. Gross. But they had like that, what's the uh, the bar game that's Shuffleboard? like curling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You throw the sand on it. That game's kind of fun, actually. Is it? It's yeah. all right. I thought, sh- okay. It's a bar game. Yeah, it's why not? It's fine as a bar game. That actually sounds pretty fun. Upon reaching the capital, the three free men who were veterans quickly re-enlisted in the army. Two months later, on October 24th, the other four, including McGovern, whom George had named with his dying breath, were released on bail of $2,000 each. That's a lot of fucking money for this time period. Hell yes. The Ramsey County District Court, however, would not allow Stokely to bail out, instead forcing him to remain in jail until the grand jury met in Duluth nearly a year after George Northup's death. On August 9, 1870, the grand jury indicted Stokely, McGovern, and three others for first-degree murder, charging that they killed George Northup by stabbing him in the left side of the abdomen with a knife. The court decided to try Stokely first. His counsel asked on August 11th to have the trial held outside Duluth, arguing that feelings had run so high at the time of Northup's murder that An impartial jury could not be impaneled. The attorney also pointed out that Anson Northup had not only hired two extra private guards to stand outside (laughs) Stokely's jail cell, but provided the prosecution with four of the state's most highly regarded lawyers out of his own pocket. So he didn't even trust the local police enough to guard him. He he had to put his own guards out, didn't he? And he didn't trust the county prosecutor enough to to try the case by himself, so he hired three private... (laughs) What do you think would happen if someone tried to do this now? Like, they wanted their own bodyguards guarding some guy in a police station. God, that would not fly. <laughs> that no, would not I fly. Don't know, man. Too many hurt egos, I bet. <laughs> that wouldn't fly. Cops, I don't think cops would allow that. No. Certainly not. Judge James McKelvey, <laughs> same judge from last week, <laughs> refused to allow the trial to be moved after the prosecution showed that the population of Duluth had grown 3,000% since the incident occurred, and most of the population had never even heard of the crime. God 
In one year, 3,000%? Holy shit. It's a booming trade town. Usually, you you don't see 3,000. That's insane. That's fucking nuts. It's a lot of Eagles fans. Yes, it (laughs) is. The trial accordingly opened in Duluth on August 17th, 1870, with four lawyers active in the prosecution and three appearing for the defendant. Every technicality was presented, argued, and picked over for hours and days on end. With this all-star lineup counsel on both sides of the court, it took some time to pick a jury, and even when they thought they had it all nailed down, they realized that one of the men on the final jury was Reverend Henry Elliott, the Methodist minister who had preached George Northup's funeral sermon. (laughs) Can't have that sneaky. You know he hates Catholics. Well, definitely not an impartial jury, (laughs) I'll tell you that much. I... I th- aren't reverends like immune to jury duty now? Are they? I think I mean, so. Probably. I performed a wedding. Am I immune from jury <laughs> duty? Maybe. I don't know. Have you ever done it? I've never gotten called. Me neither. I don't think. I hope not. Otherwise, there's probably an active warrant out for me. <laughs> but I don't check my mail that much either. Well, I think you would have found it. They would have found you somehow. <laughs> they would have brought me in. <laughs> yeah. The prosecution did not have an easy time proving its case. During mob violence, it's very difficult to get witnesses who know exactly who was there and what was done to whom. Although Stokely was reported to have confessed to Anson Northup that he stabbed George with his pocket knife, he was begging for forgiveness from the boy's father, saying he was under the influence and acting in self-defense. Anson did not testify at the trial and the prosecution never established that Stokely ever made such an apology. Do you know how big the pocket knife it was, did they say? Inch and a half. Yeah. So he just stabbed him just perfectly enough to for Got, internal bleeding yeah, to kill yeah, him. Yeah. That's crazy. It's nuts. Well, you don't mess with a uh, man on electric n- election night, do you? You sh- certainly should not. <laughs> yeah. A drunk man on election night is a very dangerous man. <laughs> <laughs> The record in the Stokely case shows that the brawl which cost George Northup his life took place so quickly and in such confusion that no one person was able to comprehend it all. The following facts, though, were enough to convince a jury. On the day of the murder, Tom Stokely was wearing a long, black, fancy coat. Someone saw him carrying a knife. Although Charles Northup said, I saw no one strike George. Another witness testified that some man struck George in an underhanded blow. The witness went on to say, <laughs> Don't know positive who the man was. My judgment is that it is Mr. Stokely. At the same time, Northrop struck him with a rock. At the same time, they were as near together as well could be George Northrop, then hollered that he was stabbed. Another witness came forward and reported that a man standing about eight feet from George picked up a stone. He turned his attention to George as he was screaming about being stabbed. He said, I could not say who struck the blow. The man was about five six, dressed in a long black tailored coat. <laughs> the witness was not personally acquainted with Stokely, but the description still applied perfectly. The defense decided the best course of action to start with, was introducing evidence of Stokely's good character. They did nothing to contradict the prosecution or to justify or excuse the act. How are you going to attack a man with a delectable black coat? I don't know. Can't he's the do fanciest it. guy on Can't the. Yeah. He's the fanciest guy in the room right now. <laughs> Was he's he a, wearing the coat to court? 
Probably. He absolutely was wearing that same coat. He had to have a hat, right? You can't I, just wear a sweet black coat without a hat. You think he was a fedora mancer? Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> the jury retired on August 20th and brought back a verdict of guilty, but not a first-degree murder, but murder in the second degree. Mm-hmm. The jury had given a little leeway because of Stokely's youth. On August 25th, the defense mo- moved for a new trial and a stay of sentence, which was denied on September 1st, 1870. Tom Stokely then came before the court and heard himself sentenced to imprisonment for the remainder of his natural life. (laughs) Natural life in 1870 is like 30 years? Yes, I think so, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's got like nine more years left. He's just 35. (laughs) He's not even going to make it another five years. An appeal to the Minnesota Supreme Court proved futile although it allowed Stokely to remain in the county jail instead of the state pen. During August 1871, however, Stokely took up residence in Stillwater at the Hotel de Jackman, <laughs> jokingly ne- named after Henry A. Jackman, the new warden of the state prison. Not Hugh Jackman, a.k.a. Wolverine. Huh? I wish. I wish. You could wash your clothes on I, his abs. I was going to say, technically, second-degree murder is, I believe, the correct charge. Because there wasn't really premeditation when he stabbed him. So technically that is the right charge for him. The prosecution went at him. All nine of them with first degree murder. Yeah. But but then just started letting all the other co-conspirators go for some reason. The other four Philadelphia roughs indicted with him. McGovern, Thomas J. Courtney, E.J. Paulin, and Benjamin F. Zeriker (laughs) were cleared of the charges against them. It seemed everyone was satisfied with Stokely's conviction, or at least the taxpayers were. That's all that matters. Mm -hmm. There is speculation that the other four were not retried because the new county couldn't afford it. (laughs) How time has changed. (laughs) (laughs) If it was now, they would have charged everybody here, and then everybody who knew these people, everybody who was watching, it's like... Man, times have changed. (laughs) They would have ripped them all new buttholes, I think. (laughs) If Tom Stokely were from a lower-born family, that may have been the end of the story. As it so happens, his father was the Republican candidate for mayor of Philadelphia. It was soon very, very clear that outside influence was weighing on Governor Austin for Tom's release. I remember Stone Cold Steve Governor Austin. That's right, baby. (laughs) Here he is again. He's been been put in a lot of rough spots these last few weeks. Yes, he has. How sweet would it be if the mayor shows up and he's got a black little tiny Speedo, Speedo. on with his fucking leather cut on? Yeah. Hell yeah, that'd be awesome. Somebody throws him beers when he stands <laughs> up on the ring post. Damn right. <laughs> Austin received numerous petitions from sympathetic Minnesota citizens. Five members of the grand jury, six members of the trial jury, Parker and Gorman, two of the lawyers hired to help the prosecution... Three former governors and one future governor, four former members of the Supreme Court, and a man named Ignatius Donnelly, (laughs) who seemed to be like Kim Kardashian, just famous for being famous. Always showing up. He's got a powerful name. Ignatius Donnelly? Yeah, he's pretty rad. <laughs> Donnelly's like the most generic Irish last name, dude. It, it, it so is, dude. Do, do you remember the show The Black Donnellys? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, that shit, everybody loved that show, and it, like, disappeared after, I think, like, six episodes. Yeah. That's crazy. I know. I haven't thought about that in a long time. <laughs> Neither have oh, I. Oh, jeez, that's like ten years ago at least. Oh, shit. Hmm. Wow. 
God, times were simpler. <laughs> Before Game of Thrones. <laughs> yes. Al- although all of this may have not affected the governor in any way, a letter from Mr. and Mrs. Anson Northup may have. It read, The dead cannot be brought back to life. The majesty of the law has been maintained, and we hope and believe a repentant heart has obtained mercy and pardon above. We earnestly write that the lonely son may be reunited with his parents and society, and that a life of usefulness and honor may be placed in his power. Politically, Governor Austin was also facing pressure. Jay Cook, railroad tycoon who held gigantic holdings in Duluth, asked the governor if he could see his way clear to pardon young Stokely, because... His father's heart is almost broken by this great misfortune. In 1871, the Republicans were concerned that the Dems, by carrying local elections, might maintain enough power to influence national affairs, which would lead to softening the treatment of the South and losing precious gains made by quelling the rebellion. The party lines tighten around poor old Governor Austin. Either way, on December 22, 1871, Thomas Stokely was given a full and entire pardon and walked right out the front doors of the Minnesota State Prison. He sped off to Philadelphia, and in less than 10 years, he became a deputy sheriff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Did he keep the black coat? I believe that was still a huge part of his uh, persona. Yeah. persona. I tell you what, I'd be more terrified of a sheriff with a delectable black coat on. Would you? Oh, yeah. Just because of the implication? Yeah, I respect a man with a beautiful black coat for no reason. I also do. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Governor Austin, he had to uh, stun his way out of a lot of tough subjects yeah. during his term. So, And some of those people... They didn't sell the same way Vince McMahon or The Rock will sell. <laughs> they, they, they were bad. They yeah. were bad. Jesus, he had this, and then he had the... the uh, Bobo Link. Yeah, the threat of... Did you see what Bobo Link... What one of our fans said, Bobo Link is a type of bird? Yeah. That's uh, interesting. I feel like I should have known that. Me too. I feel like it looks like Toucan Sam, but... Sam, but uh, I don't know what the hell a Bobo Link is. No, me neither. <laughs> anyway... Yeah, this uh, this doesn't seem like justice. Are you kind of <sighs> conflicted about it? You know, you know, he's a young guy, drunk, got caught up in a mob, ended up sticking a dude. Maybe he, maybe he should have got, he should have done a little more time than like a year. Yeah. But. I mean, you never expect to kill somebody with a one inch pocket knife. To be honest, why do you got to stick it in someone? You don't. Yeah. This is this was a different time. We know better now. Don't stab nobody with nothing. But yeah. There's been people who've been stabbed multiple times with much larger knives who lived, and this little one-inch pocket knife, act, you know, took him out. It's a fucked-up situation. He probably shouldn't have got out of jail after a year, though, that's for yeah, sure. Yeah, that's the goddamn truth, boys. But I guess if you know people in power, right. you're able to get out of there. It's not who you know, it's who you <laughs> bliz know. If Ignatius, if you're out there, help us out, buddy. Help me out, Ignatius Donnelly. <laughs> Underutilized name, by the way. Truly. Yes. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, that's going to do it for this story. Did a good, great job, Adam. I oh, yeah. It. You guys liked it? I yes. liked it. Good job, guys. Hopefully we didn't offend any Irishmen. Nah, we usually do. <laughs> this was uh, a little bit of a bite-sized episode, but that's just uh, that's how we're going to run this one. We got a time crunch this week. Can't Busy week it. and no. sick. Oh, f- fucking. Mm-hmm. I hate it. So... If you want to get a hold of us and tell us to stop making excuses like a bunch of little bitch <laughs> bitch babies. No. 
You can do so at bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. What's that, Adam? Bumblebuttpodcast at gmail.com. As always, follow us on Twitter at bumblebuttpod and on Facebook and Instagram at bumblebuttpodcast. Instagram is, of course, our main thing. We also have personal Instagrams. Jordan is at j.j.fox. Yep. Adam is at Bumble Adam, and Cody is Bumble Butt Podcast. Well, everybody, thank you very much for listening to another episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There's a motorcycle in the background. You should leave that in just for... <laughs> I think it's an airplane. Yeah, it's definitely a plane. That's an airplane? That's yeah. an aeroplane. I got an ear infection. Jake Gyllenhaal. Rest in peace, brother. See you <laughs> on an airplane. Right? That's how that song goes. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Jordan's worthless tonight, it turns out. <laughs> I li- I don't, yeah. Has he said anything? I don't think so. <laughs> what a I, piece I, of shit. <laughs> I've thrown a few little thingies in there. I think you cooked his brain like you did mine like two months ago. Well, let's not talk about that one. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Uh, uh, every, as always, have a nice weekend unless it's Tuesday. Adam and Cody are jerks. Yes. <laughs> so we are, definitely. Yes. <laughs>